Hello and welcome once again to episode 88 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So continuing with our post-WWDC coverage, we thought we should go over what's coming in Xcode 14. Uh, so Xcode 14, as a reminder, is available to download as a beta, uh, so you can definitely go ahead and give it a try. And I have honestly been using it like <laughs> only Xcode 14 for the past oh. uh, week and a half ever since uh, since I downloaded it. So uh, yeah, go download Xcode 14. It's pretty awesome. So has it been <clears throat> pretty stable then, and nothing really, you know, super buggy or anything? I have not noticed any particular crashes, uh, so that's always good. Um, I am not submitting anything <laughs> with this mm-hmm. uh, build, yeah. so that's like the the number one caveat. And all the code that I write is backed by builds on a CI that use Xcode 13 still. So if I like introduce any code that just does not compile, it won't get submitted into the code base. So that's mm. that's like the big asterisk that I'm using uh, to determine whether uh, it's safe to go ahead and use it. Um, but yeah, if if all you're doing is to help you like be a better developer and more productive, then uh, absolutely, I would say go ahead and use it. The only thing you need to steer clear of uh, if you are still building non-iOS 16 apps is uh, like any Swift 5.7 feature that's like new this year. Don't go ahead and put any's and sums where like Xcode 13 would get confused, uh, mm-hmm. and you should be fine. Um, and I think. Any any is allowed in much m- many more contexts as of Xcode 13 anyway, so that one might be fine. Um, but yeah, as long as you're not doing that, then I'd say it's probably okay for you to start using it and just make sure you don't start using any of the iOS 16 bits, and you should be good. Right. Cool. Well, I mean, even just starting out, uh, downloading Xcode uh, 14 is faster because it's like... Did they say it's like thirty percent smaller or something like that? It was a fair amount. Something. Where yeah, yeah. Um, now you don't have to uh, download and install like the WatchOS and TVOS SDKs. You can kind of choose uh, like which simulators and stuff you want. So that's super cool. Um, that's always you know one a pain to download, two a pain to un- unzip it with an X. Um, so you know that's uh, that's that's cool. Uh, any time that you know they can optimize it and stuff is great just because going through the process of you know updating xcode whether you do it through the app store or you do it through the um, the developer page it's a pain it's just big so cutting down yeah. on I, I i'd love to know kind of what that cruft is that they cut out uh but well they ask cool. you to download it immediately after running it for the first time that's the watch and tvos sdks that's all it is. Do you think that's Basically, all the cutouts? Oh, I, I cool. definitely think so. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. all the runtimes for that, all all of the infinitesimally small files that get like imported as a process of that, um, that all gets mm. cleaned up. And that's one of the reasons why Xcode is so large is it's composed of literally millions of very small files that are all mm-hmm. under the four kilobyte threshold to like use a sector a sector on the disk. And I say this with tremendous air quotes because neither of those things exist anymore. Um, right. But uh, that that's why why it uses so much space is because nothing is really optimized around like modern 
uh, storage uh, facilities and everything is just like individual small text files um, all over the place and they're all relatively small. So uh, needing to enumerate and decompress and like put all those files in individual places, that's what takes forever every time you need to unzip yeah. stuff um, or anytime you need to move stuff. So like, for instance, never make like a copy of Xcode because it can take forever or never replace Xcode. Like always rename the old Xcode and drag the new Xcode in and that's going to be instant. But if you choose to replace the Xcode that's there currently, now it has to like create a diff of files and it's like forget about it. Um, so yeah, Xcode, Xcode is smaller now. I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> that's awesome. And also with that is builds are not smaller, but they are faster. Uh, so it said something like build times are 30 or something percent faster, 25%, I think. Um, and then testing, I think, was the thing that was 30% faster, which is sweet. Or I, Okay, that was one thing. It, they were talking about increasing parallelism, parallelism with, I think, both of those. And I mm-hmm. don't know. I didn't watch the, um, the uh, sort of uh, continuations on that of the What's New in Xcode videos about like mm-hmm. inc- improving that. So I don't know if that's a free thing or if there's a little bit you have to do to optimize the build process or if just Xcode does that for you. So from what I've tried, um, Xcode gives you, by the way, a brand new visualization to see like what your like builds are doing uh, behind the scenes. And you get like the super nice graph where every line is like uh, an individual process that's running on your CPU. Um, and you can see like what the limiting... Um, factor like i'm in in chemistry you'd say the limiting region right uh the thing that runs out the fastest and then everything else is like limited to that uh finishing first so um that that's what that graph shows you and then you can directly see like how if you wanted to improve it like which parts are causing uh problems but you get automatic um module compilation in parallel now where in the past Mm. you have to compile a module wait for it to finish and then you can continue to the next one where now it optimistically just makes a manifest of the module and now it can compile that module and yours at the same time because yours just needed the manifest it didn't need the whole module to be actually compiled um so that's where a lot of those benefits come in and it's able to like speed up the whole process gotcha that's really nice yeah, I still haven't uh, benchmarked this, like, comparing uh, the M1 Max versus the M1 Ultra. Um, so that I'm still looking forward to actually doing. Um, mm-hmm. But it so far, it has made builds roughly 30% faster on uh, the M1 Max that I did try on, on my laptop, basically. Nice. That's so, great. Xcode go burr. <laughs> Xcode go burr. It's always awesome. Um, recent run destinations is super cool. Uh, personally, we don't have, you know, like a bunch of run destinations, so it wouldn't be anything that I think I would use most of the time, but very cool concept for sure. You mean you never encounter Xcode deciding, oh, you're building to the iPod touch today. Um, and then you need to like open that list and then choose, no, I actually want the iPhone 13 pro. Thank you very much. Well, I guess... (laughs) We kind of have a thing where we we have a script that like sets up simulators with a bunch of like test media and stuff, and so we by default delete everything else, and so there's only like one test iPad and one test iPhone, unless there's like device specific things we need to look at. So most oh, of the so time, you just got rid of all of them. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's how you solved your problem. Just we kind of circumvented the problem. 
So, um, but yeah, so I would say that's definitely one of my favorites because immediately you just have like what you want at the very top of that menu, um, which is not a menu anymore. It looks more like a popover uh, than mm-hmm. a menu, which is curious. Um, I guess they could have stuck with the menu, honestly. Like all the other menus are type filterable, um, but maybe it wasn't obvious that you can type filter. Uh, so, yeah. I don't think I've ever tried to type filter, so maybe. We got a bunch of stuff with SwiftUI previews, so um, I think Dimitri alluded to this last week, and this is also something we were hoping for. Um, We've got quite a few things here. One of the first ones that they mentioned, or if not the first one, was uh, the preview canvas will be on by default. So as soon as you start, uh, it starts rendering out the preview, you can start interacting with it. You don't have to hit the play button or anything. That's mm-hmm. pretty nice. Um, I think the only thing with that that I've noticed, and I'd, uh, I'll love to try it when I download um, Xcode 14, is sometimes running that preview takes longer than just rendering the preview does, like as a non-runnable, interactable thing. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. Have you tried this out and kind of noticed any difference in performance that way or otherwise? So they claim it should try to like keep it live much more often than uh, it did in the past. So it's just going to automatically get it in a in a state where once your code compiles, it just goes and shows you um, the like the results without without co- having you trip over that in the process, right? Mm-hmm. And. Um, Ironically enough, I'm not like super jazzed about like interactive mode being the default because all my previews are size to fit, meaning they're all like little tiny views. Like I don't care about having the whole canvas there of a phone. Mm -hmm. So now like I'm greeted with a phone with like a little tiny view and I'm like, well, I had seven previews I wanted to look at all at the same time and you (laughs) can't do that anymore. Um, However, uh, that's been replaced by superpowers and those superpowers are automatic previews for uh, color scheme orientation and dynamic type meaning you can just Mm -hmm. click a button and now you have a matrix of all the dynamic type sizes like instantly there Uh, and that's basically what my multiple previews were doing right i had Mm -hmm. side by side previews to see okay like how does it look when you increase the type size how does it look when you have light mode dark mode how does it look when you um uh, go ahead and I guess see it at a different orientation. I never did that one, but uh, now you can do that one, and it makes it really easy to do so. Um, in the, I would hope that Apple can like extend this a little bit further, in that we can still see like our own variations. Meaning, like if you mm. have a title versus not a title, like something that would only make sense to your app, it would still be useful to see that side by side. Um, so maybe there could be a way where we can specify to Xcode, hey, here is a sequence of like enumerations that you can please uh, set as an environment or something. Um, I'm not too sure like how they would do it. Uh, but now's the time to submit feedback for that. So if, if you have the similar need to me, uh, submit feedback now, uh, basically, because once the first few betas kind of go out the door, Apple's going to stop listening to feedback and just focus on doing whatever they want to do. So um uh, yeah, if if you if you are uh, as they say nonplussed about any of these changes, now is a ch- now's your chance to to uh, course correct or convince them to course correct because that's that's all you can really do. You can't actually jump into Xcode's code base and uh, fix things. Right. Um, what I thought was really cool with that is 
it's it's just a button like it's it's a you click a button it pulls up a menu you click that and it just starts rendering out all of those variations mm-hmm. um where and it was, it was really were... fast when we tried it so uh oh good possibly in that sense like the previews are faster because it it now needed to run like 17 simulators at once or whatever it needs to do mm-hmm. uh to get that going um and it was able to update all those really quickly um one thing i did notice before i'll let you continue is uh by default, like scales everything down, so we couldn't actually tell the dynamic type sizes uh, that were actually being used yeah. because it has like four side by side, and then uh, because because our our monitor uh, we needed room for code still, um, <laughs> we moved the slider over um, and made that that smaller. Even yeah, I know even on a protosplex CR, you still needed room for code. Um, it actually scaled all those views down, which made it hard to judge which fonts were being used, like all mm-hmm. those like things that you would want to judge side by side. Um, so uh, something that we noticed uh, quite quickly is if you click on them, you get the full-size preview. So you don't necessarily need to have that be ginormous. You can have that be the rough uh, like uh, uh, overview kind of mode, and then you can click on the individual previews to see a pixel accurate uh, rendering uh, that it's going to be. Right, yeah, it, I think they showed that in the um, in the video where, um, he, you know, he noticed. I think it was like the very largest uh, accessibility dynamic font size where uh, it started to go overflow to another line, and so he clicked that and it kind of expanded. So I think mm-hmm. they put some good thought into it for sure, which is awesome to see. Um, I think one of the things that I was kind of yeah, I noticed more or less the same thing where. When at the very top, when it had all of the smaller text sizes, I couldn't really tell a difference. So I think it's like you say, more of a general overview. Let's see if something's wrong, and then click on it and kind of get the full details. So super cool there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I noticed, and I'm wondering if you know anything about uh, changes to Swift UI, or if this was just you know one of the things that's like a dubbed up presentation. The code that they're writing isn't actually um, what it actually is if that makes sense is mm-hmm. he had a um i think it was like a header view and a footer view or something like that um that were written out into functions and then just you know called into the content view uh but they didn't have app view builder in them and i was wondering did that did anything change with that or um well it depends was it a swift ui view as like the body of the function uh-huh yeah then you don't need view builder because you're returning that object that you just built or that you just initialized. Have I just been using view builder wrong this whole time? <laughs> well, think about it this way. You need view builder when you need to compose many uh, Swift UI views. But if you're just returning a single Swift UI view and it's never changing, like it's always going to be the same H stack, mm. then you don't need the view builder because inside the view inside of the H stack is a view builder anyways. Um, so that's kind of taken care of for you. So you don't need to write return because it's the single element in there. Like if you had let something right before Uh your H stack, then it would complain and say like, Hey, uh, you need to like type return and that will kind of give it away that it's not a view builder. Um, but if you have like an if statement in there and you have like, Oh, if size is this, then give an H stack, otherwise Mm -hmm. given V stack. Uh, then you would need a view builder because you're essentially returning a conditional view. Like the if statement itself turns into a view and that's mm-hmm. uh, thanks to view builder. So if you're just returning a single view, then you don't need one. Okay, 
well, my mistake. <laughs> Good to know, though. Yeah, I um. That said, I still I, type at ViewBuilder everywhere out of like muscle memory at this point. Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm pretty sure that like anytime I break it out into a separate view function, I at ViewBuilder it. I guess whether I need to or not. So, mm-hmm. oh well. I mean, it works. I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, another one that's cool is there all, I think that you said all of the Swift, or sorry, Swift, SF symbols are built into the library. So, you know, you hit the little plus button at the top right or command shift, command shift L. It's been a hot minute. Um, command L, command shift L, one of those. Um, <laughs> but you can just search through the SF symbols and, and insert them immediately, which, uh, you know, is nice because before I'd have to pull up the SF symbols app and it's not a huge issue to do that but you know you're you're getting out of xcode and you have to search and copy you know right click copy the name or whatever to to kind of get it back into xcode so having it built in is a nice addition for sure Mm -hmm. i feel like this is apple's response to all these third-party uh packages that just uh create types for all the ss symbols which was probably like a very poor idea from a compilation performance point of view um and I, I feel like there's a reason that Apple did not go that route, right? They could have. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. just as easily they could have generated that. And just as easily you can write a Swift package plugin to do that if you really want to. Um but uh they chose not to and they didn't really explain why they chose not to, but uh there must be a a, a good reason why. Um and it seems like this is their thinking as to what you would do to uh instead of uh, having completely like type safe names um, because it's it's rare that it would break um, and you'd notice it during like code review so I don't think mm-hmm. that there's like a huge reason to have it all type uh, safe it's it's not like autocomplete really helps you uh, and anyways because like it's not hierarchical it's more um, semantical like based on how the words are put together so it's not like you're gonna find the symbol you want just by like exploring autocomplete either um, yeah. You really do need a gallery of sorts to really play around and find exactly what you're interested in. Um, so I think this is probably a, a good, a, it strikes a good balance between allowing you to search, but also not leave Xcode. Maybe um, in the future, like this can be directly in your autocomplete. <laughs> like as you type image, open uh, parentheses system uh, name, and then it can just give you that little panel right then and there. That would be the mm-hmm. ultimate um but i don't think we're there yet maybe next year maybe in 10 years i don't know yeah for sure um kind of an interesting one and i wanted to talk about this one for sure which is the um the swift package manager i think they call them swift plugin extension i don't know i had my notes up hold on um swift package plugins there we go um Okay, so this these are really cool because you can do, um, I think, pre-build and also build time, um, run some code pre-build or during build time. So there's a lot of things that can be done there. I, I started watching a video on um, creating your own, and they had some cool things to do with like asset libraries and localization, pulling those out into, I think the asset, I can't remember what the asset one was, but like, the localization one, I think, was just pulling them out into your localized strings into files so that they could be easier sent for localization or something like that. So some really cool stuff there. And I wanted to ask you, do you remember the days of like Xcode 
I think it died in Xcode 8, so pre-Xcode 8. Um, do you, did you ever do anything with, like, Alcatraz? No? No. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I never really customized anything because I, I, I learned very early on, the more you customize something, the more, one, if it breaks, you're out of luck, uh, and two, uh, if anything changes, then you need to re- either reset that up or... Uh, like not be able to jump on the latest thing because you're dependent on something. Uh, so I just stopped having fun with computers a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's a good point. I um, Xcode Seven was actually the first version of Xcode that I used. So, um, you know, I was new and I was trying to, I don't know, just see what was there. And so there was one I didn't use many at all, but there was one that I used like religiously it was like my favorite thing which was um you could you could hit command s and save your file and it would auto like indent everything for you and so your code was always indented and so i got into this really bad habit of like command indenting a lot (laughs) yeah well yeah that too but i just would save constantly and one time like years later i had a student ask like why do you hit command S so often? I'm like, well, I got really used to it and I haven't stopped still. And so like, it's almost become muscle memory to me. I was wondering, do you think they, I, I could have a swift package plugin that does that for me again, that in it, it maybe not during while you, when you hit command S, but like there was a hot, well, there was a hot key, but when you build, if it would indent everything for you, do you think that's a possibility? I mean, you just made me feel really old because the reason why I command S all the time is for very different reasons. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so it's Back in the days when uh, you could lose everything at any given moment uh, because <laughs> computers were horrible. Um, so you command S all the time because you didn't want to lose everything. And, like, turns out saving was slow, but it wasn't that slow. Uh, so you did it as often as you reasonably could because you really didn't want to lose anything. Um so yeah, that's that's my habit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. That's fair. Maybe it's um, just a good habit to have. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's completely useless nowadays. I feel like, but uh, nowadays, honestly, I command S so that way Git can see that I made changes. Otherwise, Git has no clue I made changes because Xcode doesn't save until you build. So uh, it's it's completely ignorant. It's, sometimes I forget. It's like I commit something and then I go back to Xcode run and then all of a sudden there's my like work tree is dirty. I'm like, what's going on here? Um, yeah, get uh, like get on Xcode's uh, level. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> if only they had thousands of engineers that worked on Git, like Apple. They're probably all uh, free. They're probably all, like, donating time to make sure Git doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, probably, huh? Uh, but, yeah, going back to Swift Package plugins, um, you totally can do this now. So you can set up uh, what's called a linter or Swift format to automatically run uh, either every time you build or it can be, like, a script. Um, so, there, as you said, there are two kinds of plugins. There are scripts that just run when you want to run them, um, like mm-hmm. generate docx um, or uh, reformat all the code, or increment the version. Um, so those are all scripts, and you can write them as scripts, or you can write them as Swift package plugins, which uh, allow you to use Swift and be part of uh, the build process. Um, right. So you can you can declare dependencies within uh, each uh, each plugin. 
Um, so that's really neat. Um, and Xcode will uh, surface these as menu items that you can then probably, I haven't tried this, but you can probably assign keyboard shortcuts to. So uh, I don't mm. know if you can attach Command S to it, uh, but you can definitely command, attach something to it. Uh, yeah. And that should, and that should Control work. I. Control I, yeah. Instead of doing the the current selection, it just does everything, and then you're happy. Yeah. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, and then the second type is uh, allows you to build uh, resources that can be included with your the rest of the build process. So you can generate source code files, uh, which uh, finally enables things like macros in Swift, which was previously impossible. Um, so now you can come up with whatever uh, shorthand syntax you want in comments or whatever uh, and say, hey, write the same code 17 times, but replace this thing with this other thing. Um, and you can have a script that does that, uh, so that way you don't have to write the same code, uh, the same boilerplate many, many times, which you currently mm-hmm. have to do with Swift uh, for certain generics and stuff like that. So uh, this will allow you to kind of get away from that and generate things much more readily without having separate tooling available to do uh, just that. So um, the example with assets that you brought up previously was actually pretty interesting and goes completely against what they are doing with SF symbols and it allows you to make tight oh. uh, uh, typed asset names um, based on your asset catalog so it literally reads your asset catalog and will go ahead and generate code that you can then go ahead and use an autocomplete to represent uh, the individual things in your assets so uh, the way they did it, I wouldn't necessarily agree with. They just made like globals uh, for the stuff in their assets. I would have made it as like a subtype of something. Um, mm-hmm. But you can get the you can get the gist of it uh, pretty uh, well by watching that session. So uh, definitely really cool. Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to see kind of where this goes and um, I guess just what what people will come up with with this kind of thing. I mean, just like Swift packages absolutely blew up and you know, Cocoa Pods are just an afterthought, like a bad memory that you just, you know, or a bad dream that you woke up from. No one <laughs> touches them ever again. Um, the, the ability to, you know, be able to sort of write these, I guess, scripts more or less. Um, in Swift, for a lot of it, uh, you know, there was one that they did related to Git and everything, and you can call out to um, other command line tools. But if you wanted to, you could probably stay in Swift for a lot of it is exciting to me. So cool to see i'm interested to see what people come up with for sure definitely and a part of that is uh as we mentioned doxy uh integration so you can have mm. uh just a menu uh item that will generate doxy documentation for your package um automatically and it can put it wherever you want it to go um rather than xcode's uh built-in option which just like installs it in its documentation window uh, this can actually install mm. it or do something with it other than that. So you don't necessarily need to put it in your documentation window and then right-click and say, oh, uh, save this somewhere, please, uh, uh-huh. which is not a very automatic process. Um, but uh, something that is new with Xcode 14 is you can now, and I didn't realize you couldn't do this, uh, but you can now use Doxy for apps. Um, so it's not just limited oh. to packages. Um, it can be fully incorporated within apps. And this feels like a general like move that Apple's kind of pushing a, away from uh, Xcode's project file format. It seems like we're finally, uh, because with Swift Playgrounds, that has a new 
Swift package based uh, like manifest of like what the the whole project looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like we're slowly moving in that direction, uh, little by little. We no longer have if uh, info.plists uh, as of last year, um, and I think uh, little by little we're going to not have this massive Xcode project file format, and we're just going to have a Swift package that represents the app. So instead of just dot executable and dot library, you, we can now have a new target that is going to be dot app um, that would replace Xcode basically. If you've ever tried to submit an app before, you you know the pain and struggle that is. I we've talked about this before, but making an app is like, you know, eighty percent of the work. Maybe it's a lot, but there are just these like kind of peripheral things that you always have to deal with. Like if you're doing localizations, uh, but there's one that uh, there are a couple things you can't get around, which are screenshots to the app store. We've talked about that before. Another one, which is. Uh, icon sizing you have to make about 14,000 approximately uh, app icons of different sizes which is just the absolute worst process and there are a bunch of different apps that people have made so you just drop in you know a 1024 by 1024 and it will resize it for you because everyone hates the process it's the worst Uh, especially when you have like 17 alternate icons that you have to manually write in your input yeah. up your list like pre xcode 13 um I, i'm still not convinced that xcode 13 will like do it for older versions of os's um so i don't know i've like been afraid to try that new functionality um but it seems like this is just like in the dumbest way possible it's going to resize your images into 17,000 or 14,000 yeah. variants for you uh, it's not like a new file format or anything, so this right. will just be supported. Um, and your designer will weep a little bit because of all the hinting work that they did to make sure <laughs> your icon looks precious at all sizes. Uh, but if you don't have a designer and you don't care about hinting, uh, this is the check mark for you. Yes. It just built in, drop it in, set it to like single is something, single size or single image. I can't remember uh, what they called it exactly, but... We'll do it for you. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I think, like you said, there are definitely times where you need some hinting and you'd like to manually put in those images themselves. But if you have a relatively simple icon or whatever, just use that and uh, save yourself hours of weeping. Maybe not hours, but it's it's not a fun process. It's just tedious, right? And it's just something you drop your, you know, icon in, in some separate app, it drops it or makes a folder, you have to drag that into Xcode. It's just a process, even with these uh, solutions that facilitate the process. So I, I just realized that not all of our listeners might know what hinting is. So uh, for typography and for fonts in general, uh, it can be hard for certain letters to appear correct when you're like scaling them down to use only like a handful of pixels uh so what hinting does is it tells the font renderer hey this shape right here you should make sure it appears on this side of the pixel versus that side of the pixel it like changes the shape of it so that way you can actually see it um at small pixel sizes um and you can still like identify that the eye has a dot for instance Uh, Without hinting, you end up with, like, weird situations where, oh, hey, this L just disappeared because it, like, was smaller than a pixel, so it just kind of collapsed into nothingness. Um, So this kind of makes sure that you can still see it. And when it comes to icons, you're doing a very similar process when you have very delicate shapes, uh, if you want want to call them that. Uh, You can go ahead and say, hey, make sure the shape 
uh, hugs the pixel boundaries, essentially, so that way it appears crisp. Um, it's not going to be in between pixel boundaries. It's not going to be a little bit blurry at smaller sizes. So if all your icon is is a gradient with a shape on it, you probably don't need hinting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go ahead and use this. If your icon has a bunch of textures on it, you probably want to hint those textures so that way you can actually make them out um, and be able to resolve them at small resolutions. Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to tell. It's going to be a blurry mess. Um, so that's kind of where all the craft into icon- iconography um, goes towards is making sure that icons remain uh, visible and easy to see at any resolution. Um which is not not uh, not necessarily as easy as you might think it is, right? Um, and now I I guess let's just go like rapid fire through all the editor uh, features because there are a bunch of mm. like little tweaks to the Xcode editor. Um, and uh, the first one uh, that I really like is sticky headers. Finally, I don't know how it took this long. I really don't. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what this... Ref- it, it's not autocomplete, is it? No, so this is as you're scrolling at the top of your editor, you just have the the function you're in, the class you're in, and then the function you're in, and then the sub-function oh. that you're in. It just keeps it at the top of the page, as if that's like the most obvious mm. thing that should have always been there, because <laughs> Apple invented freaking sticky headers. Like, that's, that's, that's true. That was their whole thing on the iPhone. Uh, so it's like, this should have been... Uh, there years ago. I don't know how no one like like felt the need for this, but I cannot live without it now. Uh, it's just it contextualizes mm. you. Um, yeah, I, I was joking around that we also need sticky footers, but that would just be curly braces all the way down. So I don't know if that'd be useful to anyone. Good point. Uh, that's super cool, though. Um, yeah, no, that that makes total sense now that you say it, especially with things like. Um, for example, vapor stuff. Uh, very often, you'll have like um, the class or the struct, and then you'll have a bunch of extensions to conform to whatever different protocols. Generally, I will generally put them in the same file, but sometimes they do get long enough. So uh, it would be cool to see, you know, which extension you're in, and you know what what protocol you're trying to conform to or whatever. So that's a, a great idea. I didn't I didn't hear about that one, but that's super cool. I'm stoked for that. Mm-hmm. And it supports us, like, I don't know what you call these internally declared functions. So, like, if you declare a function within a function, so it's like a super private function, um, that totally flows very nice with this. It just adds another row at the top of the screen. Um, nice. You have a tall display. Like, there's plenty of room for it. So uh, it does not at all feel like wasted space. Um, so, yeah, great job. Good stuff. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I noticed is autocomplete for methods no longer brings in all of the optional requirements. It kind of uh, italicizes the ones that are optional. And if you want, as you start typing out the method, uh, let's say the optional requirement is like um, needs update or something, that will be italicized. You start typing that in and Xcode will recognize that and kind of bold it in and then it will actually autocomplete. So that's uh, super nice. Uh, one of the examples that he used, it was the frame method in SwiftUI uh, that has about, again, approximately 14,000 arguments. Uh, So you don't have to like autocomplete the whole thing, uh, delete everything to where you need it, or, you know, do nothing and then type it out. Uh, It'll kind of, it's good in between of autocompleting it. So good stuff there. Yeah. And 
impressively enough, it does not like get in your way when you need to add an argument. So that's where XO13 uh, felt like it needs to be taken to the back sometimes. Uh, because you type your frame with like a max width, and then you're like, oh, I want to have a min width too. And you type min width, and now you have everything. Um, so uh-huh. that that is also cleaned up with this. And in the rare cases where you do want everything, option return will give you everything. So uh, that's super neat. Yep. Um, uh, one that I really, really like, and I didn't know I'd really, really like this, is if you uh, close a block of code with a curly brace, it will just re-indent that block of code. Done. Uh, if you need to wrap Ooh. something in like a VSEC, you type VSEC at the top, you go to the end of it, you type your curly brace, it will re-indent that whole thing. Uh, if you want to delete VSEC, you get rid of VSEC at the top, you get rid of two curly braces, and you retype a curly brace, and it will re-indent the whole thing. And I am happy by that change. So, yeah, it's a, it's the little things that ruin you. Uh, and that's why I cannot go back to ISO 13. I like tried and yeah. I was like, this is not working anymore. That's, <laughs> that was it. That was my like turning point. Uh, so unless, unless Xcode 14 starts breaking horribly in beta two or something, um, I am probably just going to continue using it at this point. Yeah. Honestly, that would probably solve my issue of, you know, command Sing and wanting some package plugin for that. That would probably handle 90% of the code I'd write for indentation. So that's super cool. That's something I do all the time is I'll, I I have to like indent the code immediately after I write it. I can't wait and like write a function out and then indent the whole thing at once. It like, yeah. So that's nice having it do it for you for sure. I I mean, I guess you can command a control I, right? That that would do what you want. And it's, it's a, it's a new claw, right? It's like, oh, so many claws. Okay. I have a love-hate relationship with regular expressions. Super cool. Now there's like this like syntax checking in everything for regular expressions. You can just write them out and stuff. That's super cool. Um, I, as soon as he started talking about them, I just had flashbacks to one of my other jobs when I had to use regular expressions for uh, checking students' work. Uh, they're really cool. Um, and it w- he kind of showed an example where he was like checking for... Um, any number or something, but he put like one through nine instead of zero through nine. And he had an easy way of pulling up in the definitions, um, like pulling up, Oh, it was in a, you know, it, he was calling that regular expression in a a unit test and the, the unit test itself was putting in zero. And so it was a very easy way for him to like kind of check himself and say, Oh shoot. Well, I actually probably do need to put zero here or the, um, I think it's the D uh, letter or something for any digit in the regular expression. So cool stuff there that it's built in before I've had to use like NS regular expression. It's not like super fun to deal with and there's, it's just a string. So there's no like checking or anything on that. So that's cool. I'm already mad about this feature because anytime I try to divide anything, I end up with extra slashes everywhere. And I finally like realized after like seven times, Oh, this is a, it, it thinks I'm trying to regular expression something and I do not want to regular expression something. So like, I would never want to regular expression something. I'm going to use that new, uh, builder syntax because that is awesome. Uh, that is yeah. like the holy grail of regular expressioning anything. Um, and the slash, the slash stuff, like I should have an, I should require an option where I need to disable SPM or what's it called? Uh, System integrity Prote- protection SIP. SIP. I should yeah. have to disable SIP to turn on the option to like 
<laughs> see regular expressions on my system. I I really do not like them. Uh, this is yeah, like me neither. I, I thought I got away from that world like 15 years ago, and it's it's like it came back to me, and I'm like traumatized. So no, no, thank you. <laughs> yep, go away. Yep. I'm glad that you have a mutual hate for regular expressions as well. <laughs> They're just the worst. Like how do how is a human mind expected to keep up with like all the different classes and like very oh. very special syntax that could have just been like part of what you want to match for? It's like I want to match a dot. No dot is anything. Sorry, uh, and that's just like the start of it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. News. Bad. Just don't. Don't use them. Um, but they, I mean, they must be used a fair amount for this, to, like for them to make the regular expression literal. No, I don't know. Just, it's, no, stop. It's weird to me. No, no, no regular expressions. Can we? Uh, something can that we is just file used. a feedback. Oh, sorry. <laughs> just, <laughs> just file feedback. Just no. <laughs> Please, no more regular expressions ever. Can we just deprecate them from life? Uh, well, I, I guess that's what they're trying to do, right? With the with the nice uh, new syntax, because there is there are utilities that come with it that will turn a regular expression into like the nice block stuff, uh, so you mm-hmm. can migrate away from <laughs> regular expressions. Um, but something that we that we do uh, use quite often is initializers, and in Xcode fourteen, you can now autocomplete initializers, which is awesome. So if you type in it. It's going to give you an initializer, not an empty initializer, an initializer with all of your arguments and all of the self dot argument equals argument oh, all so spelled good. out for you. So that way you can just modify it. You just say in it and you get a bare bones template that you can start going from there. You don't have to start typing it out. Same for coding keys. Like, hey, it knows what coding keys there are. Yes. You just wanted to change one. Uh, like you didn't want to type all 14 of your mem- of your uh, properties. Uh, well, now you just type coding keys, and it's going to give you all 14 of your properties as the thing that Xcode or the Swift compiler would have generated for you. So now you That's can just so modify good. what you want to modify. Uh, taken further, you need to implement decodable. Oh, you just want to check one thing. You didn't want to do all of it or just remove yep. one property. Well, now you just type in it with decoder, and bam, it's going to give you the whole decodable implementation exactly as the system would have generated it for you. And then you just have to make your modification. And can you believe it, Spencer? They did this for encodable as well. Bless up, man. Is that what the kids say? I don't know, but I'm stoked. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, Okay. I mean, they had like the generate memberwise initializer uh, menu thing, but having it be automatic, that's awesome. But the codable stuff, especially for like vapor stuff where you're dealing with codable all the time uh life changer uh almost perhaps as life-changing as async await uh so that's awesome i'm very excited for that um there are a few other auto completions and these i get like uh, much less like i guess they're neat to have and maybe they'll they'll rub on you in terms of like muscle memory uh but you can auto complete maps now uh so if you were gonna map over something you can just like auto complete that and it will like guess that you meant to do map, um, and hmm. you can autocomplete arrays into SwiftUI lists as well. Again, like I don't think that I would have ever like thought to do this, but if I know I can do it and it builds up a muscle memory, then sure, right? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, well, 
something that I notice every time I try to make a, a list with SwiftUI is like the initializers are just so like arcane that there there are just so many um, different in implementations. They're all using generics, and so you know the autocomplete ends up being like five feet long just to and you know you're like what's the difference between this one and this one so having it kind of do that for you would be nice if you're just like give me this uh, list for this array i can see that being useful personally yep definitely um one of my new like absolute favorite things which i don't know how i got by before uh is when you use the little like command i think it's like command click um like menu, whatever they call that mm -hmm. thing, uh, you have a few options in there. You can see the callers, for instance. And if you ever try to see the callers, you'll get a list of 17 things that don't necessarily like help you. Um, mm -hmm. And now you'll get 17 things with explanations as far as like which code they came from. So it will tell you, hey, this is in this file, and it's part of this class. So you have some mm. context as far as what's calling. Similarly, when you're autocompleting and you have three generic things that are all otherwise identical and you're like, no, I don't know what, what, what the difference between these three things is, uh, you'll now get some like context as far as like, oh, this one is implemented in binary floating point. This one is implemented in fixed integer. Uh, and this one is implemented as far as collection. Um, so you now can know like a little bit better which one you are really auto-completing and which one uh, is going to be the actual implementation for what you're doing despite everything kind of being same, named the same. So mm -hmm. that's really nice. Yeah, and I think the last thing that I noticed uh, is as you are typing, you're going to have code that does not compile because you are currently typing it. Um, and Xcode will alert you to this and Xcode has always kind of done this. Um, now, if you start editing the line of code that Xcode says does not compile, it will gray out that error in acknowledgement that, hey, the user is trying to fix this. Let me not get in their way just a moment so that way they can fix this. Um, and then it will go ahead and just get rid of it uh, to acknowledge that you actually mm. fixed it versus is it compiling? Is it just sitting there? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, that is something that uh, you can now you can now uh, be uh, be reassured that it, something is happening based on like the feedback that Xcode gave you and the feedback that you are giving back to Xcode, which is really really nice. That's good. Make the computer be patient. Yep. Computers should be patient. I mean, like so much now, it's just like. Just like Xcode you are left waiting the on time. on the computer, and that that's no good. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Weekly Swift Exercises. Learning Swift, there's no substitute for practicing. There's dozens, literally dozens of people Fernando's mentored through the different programs that he's and he's seen it time and time again. After you learn the basics of programming, you slow down because learning through experience is demanding and painful. Increasing your confidence is key, and there's an easy way to do it: practice. Fernando's weekly exercises help you practice concepts like closures and protocols while implementing actual features like dark mode. It's free to join. Besides the exercises, Fernando sends one or two articles about learning Swift. Some are technical in nature, but most of them will help you in your career by teaching you things like best practices, working as a team, or getting ready for your first job. 
Thanks again to Fernando and Weekly Swift Exercises for sponsoring code completion. Go to twitter.com slash swift exercises. That's S-W-I-F-T-E-X-E-R-C-I-S-E-S today to learn more. And as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us at uh, any moment in time if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. There's so many good titles that we got. <laughs> there we, we got some choose. good. It makes up for last week's. <laughs> Cocoa pods were just a bad dream. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry, creators of Cocoa pods. Um, I do not like it, but I, I hope I guess, it helped you during many years. I it, guess they did you not did help your me. best. I mean, it was it was a solu- It was a solution. It was a solution, and... We just have a first-party solution that is way better. Sorry. So, yeah. We love you. I'm sure the creators <laughs> of Cocoa Pods are listening to this, 100%. Well, I, I'm showing my appreciation. Like, they, they did the yeah. community good. Uh, they yeah. personally caused me pain, but the, the community in general, they did good. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, like, I just well, wish it never, like, caught on. Like, it, it should have just remained, like, a super niche thing for hard stuff instead of, mm-hmm. like, turning into the de facto way to bring code in uh, to projects. I think that would have... All those charting libraries for students, man. All those no, like pods. No, like, I, I'm serious. It feels like, um, at, at least in iOS development, there's a lot less of, like, code sharing that happens because we have such good first-party frameworks. Um, mm-hmm. And this... like raises the code quality in general of most of the apps that uh end up getting written and you'd kind of escape all of the drama around like node vulnerabilities uh that kind of exist like i don't know what's the the most famous examples of are like really stupid things like lowercase the string has like 50 packages that needs to import or something really ridiculous (laughs) and uh no not even log4j that's like an actual like process i'm talking about like really really uh like rudimentary pieces of code that really have no business like being included in projects that facebook is hosting right like react sure sure, that's a package that you want to like pull in react should not have any dependencies at all um like that's just how it should be however react has like a hundred thousand dependencies or something and that is (laughs) frankly ridiculous uh and it's because javascript as a whole is like super incomplete and you can do nothing with it so therefore tons of people have invented their own way of like doing stuff and you end up with like a hodgepodge of technologies that changes every two months that you need to like constantly keep up with and it's a little bit alienating honestly honestly um and I feel like Cocoa Pods, not necessarily to the creators of and maintainers of Cocoa Pods' fault or anything, but it ended up like pulling iOS development into the same trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I'm not saying that no one should write like third party packages. Like absolutely just never depend any third party package that you create for others on anything else. It should, any, any library that you make should have zero dependencies. Um, and therefore an app can choose which dependencies it wants. It wants this one, this one, and this one, but doesn't end up with a, a chain of dependencies mm-hmm. as a result of that. Like it should never grow to hundreds. It should stay in the dozen or so that you pick for your app. Right. Um, so thankfully so far, so package managers kind of doing that. Um, but it's really up to the community. Um, and seeing as Swift package manager was like mostly server side folks that were kind of terrified of node <laughs> as a result of like all the security vulnerabilities that happened. Uh, I feel like it has so far pushed against, uh, that kind of chain of packages that can, uh, that yeah. can slowly like come to being. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am worried a bit as it becomes more and more common that we're just going to end up in the same exact situation as CocoaPods. The problem with CocoaPods was just that the tooling was based on things that were standard at the time. Like when CocoaPods mm-hmm. was made, everyone had the same version of Ruby. Like that was just how it was. But then over time, like they started requiring more advanced versions of Ruby. You needed to have a Ruby uh, environment switcher or whatnot. Um, certain things would just not work because it kind of like stapled together. Um, and therefore now you have to like really think about how these two different dependencies who have like common thing, things in common or not, or they're really doing something really crazy are just not like fitting together. Um, and that's where a lot of the horrible sentiment came from, I think. Um, at least from my point of view, like I, I dreaded dealing with anything with CocoaPods because one, that means I have to customize it on my computer and I, I don't want to do that. I want my thing to be yeah. as like bare bones as possible because I switch computers often and I don't want to have a complicated setup. Um, and now it's like a necessary part of it to, to work in some code bases. And it's like, ugh. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't mean to like throw CocoaPods specifically under the bus, but, uh, it's like a combination of many things. The fact that, um people like abused it like that's that's the number one thing oh, yeah. the fact that it was dependent on versions of ruby that were not necessarily constant over time um that's another aspect of it um yeah i feel like i'm just ranting yeah. wow yeah no i agree i think you know really i guess what it comes down to like you said where you know in in javascript um you needed something to, you know, lowercase a string. I guess in Swift you could say we have a good foundation. I mean, it uh, is an open source component, so like, <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with that per se. It just it needs to be controlled, right? There needs to be some order um, and some thought that goes into like what gets to be made into an open source component. Um, yeah, and I, I wouldn't even put I mean, it that way. Like it, it really comes down to like just don't don't have other dependencies. That would have fixed most of CocoaPods, I think. Um, is yeah. if nothing ever depended on anything else. Well, yeah, and I, I mean people will still abuse it in in iOS with Swift packages. I mean you'll you'll see. Um, I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I've definitely seen apps where you can tell they're using like. 12 different UI libraries to get something up super quick and they're all, they, none of them match. And then their attributions page is absolutely massive because they're just 
you know, piecemealing together an app without having to write, basically write anything themselves. They've got Alamo Fire in there for some reason because URL session is hard, I guess, but actually it's not. Um, I mean, they didn't then, get the memo that it's just like it was written in a time when URL connection was the norm, right? Right. That yeah, like sure. that, that's that's a thing is like people will then start to use packages because they think that's the way you need to do it. Like, no, there's well, no if reason from. I mean, maybe if they're coming from like Webland, where that is the way that you do it, maybe that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like the. There's very little that uh, AF networking gives you over URL session nowadays. Like, mm-hmm. you're almost expected to use URL session as a building block to build your own abstraction that works for your app. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, like, maybe we need more examples of how to do that because that's just, like, a foreign concept to so many people. Of, like, how do you make something that's tailored to your app and then you have uh, uh, an architecture uh, that... Uh, goes and works for you because it's tailor-made to the problems that you're like trying to solve, right? Yeah. Like an- another great example of this is uh, Revenue Cat and Storekit. Um, and mm. again, I don't I don't mean anything bad towards the folks at Revenue Cat uh, because they are doing good work. It's just you don't need Revenue Cat if you're going to be doing anything with an app purchase. You need Revenue Cat if you want to have a simple solution for subscriptions specifically because you don't want to have a server backend but if you have a server backend anyways you don't really need revenue cap because all it's doing for you is communicating with apple to verify receipts like apple has tons of resources for you to be able to do this with storekit and has extended storekit quite a lot since Mm -hmm. it first came out with receipts and it was like super hard to use um there's a lot of shared domain knowledge out there now that you can do this yourself and not have that dependency um, and yes, revenue cat doesn't necessarily cost any money up until a certain point, but like if, if you are, uh, looking at your app as a business and you need it to be profitable, then maybe that's something you consider. Like maybe it's a worth it, uh, exchange to lose 10% of your revenue per- past a certain point, or maybe it's easy to gain that 10% back from the beginning and not necessarily need to deal with it down the line when, when you do grow to a certain point. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So, anyways, I don't know. I'm bitter yep. against like code reuse. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, know I, what I, to I say. absolutely agree. <laughs> no, I, I, that was. I've had in in multiple interviews, and even the interview um, for the job I'm at now, they kind of explicitly asked. I can't exactly remember what the question was, but like, how do you feel about using third party libraries to solve a, solve a problem? I was like not very good i'd rather not and they were like good answer and i was like thanks i i want to work here now <laughs> so i mean i guess it's a great way to align yourself with your employer right because if you have two very yeah. different answers on the answer to that question then uh like there's going to be extreme disagreements right mm-hmm. because if they say yeah. that they do like using third-party libraries to solve problems and you do not uh then you are about to jump headfirst into a code base that is using a lot of third-party libraries to solve problems. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's sure. that's not necessarily going to be easy for you to jump into. Um, so, mm-hmm. Yep. Third-party libraries bad most of the time, except for vapor. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I, I would say like, that's I like a second party. 
that that's a second party dependency, true. right? Because you're you're using that as a platform, um, or not really as a that's platform, fair. but you, like they are providing the building block for you to build what you want to build. So it's not yes. it's not even third second party if you think about it, because if if you're just running it on a server, Apple's not involved in that process at all. So um, like the first party, I guess, would be Swift, and then the second party is Vapor, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I mean, I just pulled up a Vapor project that is, I mean, probably the most extensive Vapor project I've ever used. And I mean, I'm using Vapor, obviously. Um, and then their, um, their like, uh, database ORM, uh, package fluent. Uh, mm-hmm. and it does pull in a fair amount of, um, dependencies, but like not a ton either. Like there's, uh, Vapor itself has a bunch. It, it's fairly well separated, so you don't need everything with it. But it's pulling in Neo, and it's pulling in. Um, uh, I'm using Postgres, so it's pulling in some other stuff for Postgres. But um, overall, I mean, it's def. I, it's doing a lot for the amount of packages that it pulls in as dependencies. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like maybe an exception to like what Dimitri's saying of like. I mean, compared to React, right? It shouldn't have a hundred thousand dependencies. Yes. Um, yes. It like, has like a dozen. Mm-hmm. And and Vapor pulling in Neo. Guess what? Postgres also pulls in Neo. Um, anything that you want to do with servers is going to pull in Neo. Uh, because yeah. Swift Neo is a first party dependent like library that Apple provides, so that way you can do all this stuff. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, it existing uh, is is not really as a dependency. It's just an optional part of the Swift ecosystem that you can absolutely ignore if you're just writing mm-hmm. iOS apps, right? But it's part of the yeah, iOS, the Swift ecosystem if you're writing server-based apps. So all the server-based apps are going to bring it in. Um, and there's a few like related ancillary uh, packages like um, async HTTP uh, client mm-hmm. is another first-party Apple or Swift, I should say, because it's mostly maintained by um, by the community the and community. Apple's own like paid uh, engineers are also contributing to it. Um, so, yeah, I would go ahead and say anything that's part of the Swift uh, server workgroup, like th- those count as first party at this point, right? It's part of the ecosystem, and it's a it's a necessary part to do the thing that you want to do. That's all there is to it. Yeah. It's just not included as a part of the language by default. Yeah. And Vapor was in DubDub, man. That's so cool. They were yeah. in sessions and everything. I love well, it. It's, it's, part, it's officially part of the Swift server workgroup. So yep. I, it absolutely should be, right? Yeah, for sure. Go learn Vapor. That's the, the moral of this uh, <laughs> commented out. <laughs> You're allowed I to use it, dependencies only if you use Vapor. <laughs> That's the exception. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. See you guys. <laughs>